You are listening to Uncomfortable, comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hello and welcome to Uncomfortable the Podcast. I'm your host Debbie Roach and in today's episode I chat with LA-based private model Amy Taylor. Amy is an exclusive companion based in LA in the US. She holds an MBA, is a commercial pilot and a several time cover model on Playboy, Maxim, FHM, Les Official. And she's been featured inside Esquire, GQ and Sports Illustrated. When she's not in front of the camera, she's enjoying the sunny skies, flying, keeping fit at her local gym or she's at the beach playing with her dog. In this episode, we talk about what it means to be an exclusive companion. We also chat about dealing with haters online and the risks of working in the sex industry. Now, like most of our episodes, there is some strong language, so when you are listening, make sure to pop on those headphones. So Amy, thank you so much for joining me on Uncomfortable. I'm excited to have you as my guest today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do, and specifically because we talked about this in the little pre-interview, what the difference is between what you do and what illegal sex work would be defined as. So it's kind of fuzzy and and let me preface it by saying I'm not here to say that anybody's better than anybody. It's not a hierarchy. Everybody's just trying to survive. And um, when I talk about illegal sex work versus legal sex work, I am not saying that anybody is morally or otherwise superior or inferior. Um, the difference is that in actual escorting and actual companionship that sex is neither promised nor delivered. In my country, in America, it's not allowed to be. I cannot sell that, I cannot promise it, I can't guarantee it, and a man can't demand it. Um, or woman, I guess. I've only had men and couple clients, but I'd see a woman if one ever called me. I wish they would. Um, but, uh, but that cannot be sold or expected or coerced or demanded. Uh, and in the illegal sex work, well, which is legal in most of the civilized world, but not where I live, uh, that is much more contracted and it's sort of you pay this much and you get these kind of sexual services. I happen to think it's better to not criminalize that uh, for lots of reasons that we can discuss later. Um, but the way it is where I live, uh, that can that cannot be sold or promised. So a man who chooses to meet me has no right to expect or demand any kind of sexual contact ever. Okay, and how do you, you know, clarify or explain that to your clients? Are they pretty receptive? Uh, it is difficult because 99% of the people that email you want to pay for sex. Uh, so I think 99% of the men who ever contact you to date you, period, would like to have sex with 
as little spending, whether that's on dinner or a rate as possible. Most of the reason that men contact good-looking women online is for sex. <laughs> so, um, so how do you clarify that? You explain that that's not available. Most of them go elsewhere. Uh, and the ones who want to keep things legal con contact you. Those are the ones you end up knowing. So uh, I end up being a broken record that they are not entitled to that. And I cannot meet them if they expect or demand that. Um, but but that, that takes up a lot of your office work time is explaining <laughs> that you are not available for that. <laughs> do you, this is a random question I've just thought about, do you make them sign anything? No, um, I, so the, because the law simply assumes that escorts are selling sex, as much of a broken record as you are saying that nobody is forcing you to do that and you're not and they're not entitled to that and that you understand it's illegal it's also kind of gross to coerce somebody that the the world just assumes that you are uh, a hooker and so it doesn't really matter what you keep saying they're going to assume what they are uh, going to assume it doesn't matter what i say nobody believes you so uh having somebody sign something probably wouldn't matter i suppose i could but uh it it would not matter uh yeah. So uh, the men, I have left many men in a restaurant or bar when they've said things like, what, you know, what am I going to be able to do to you for what I paid you? So goodbye, you know, that, that, that date ends. But yeah. most men don't speak like that in person. Not only is it, is it criminalized where I live idiotically, but it is also a bit tacky. I mean, yeah. when, when you meet on a regular date, everybody knows the man wants sex, but if he says that too forcefully and soon, it's a bit gross, right? Yeah, no, definitely. It's red flag, if anything. It's tacky, at least, and in my, in yeah. my world, illegal. <laughs> so yeah. I yeah. Regular dating, like if you join Tinder, that you could just red flag a guy for saying that. I don't understand in sort of civilian unpaid dating why a guy is allowed to act so sleazy. Because of the fact that there's no money exchange, he's actually allowed to behave worse. That, that seems that, very funny. That my, is a great point. Maybe I, these dating apps need to, like, have some sort of weight. And maybe they do. I haven't been on, like, dating for a while. But uh, somewhere where you can flag someone who's just gone on a date and you haven't specified in your profile that, you know, you're up for one night stands, yeah. yet they expect it, then you should be able to flag them. And maybe that's the thing. Hey, listeners, if that is, let us know. <laughs> Any great apps out there. I find it very odd that uh, to to want financial support for the very expensive existence as a woman, you know, hair and nails and outfits, and, uh, that that is considered terrible and often illegal and gross and sleazy. And yet a man being very, very sleazy online when asking for a date is not illegal. Yeah. We why don't you criminalize the that behavior instead of the gold diggers? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want to date rich guys who support you? A guy can always just say, no, thank you. But yeah. I get email all day, every day, as any woman does who's single that's like, they want to violate you seven ways to Sunday. And, and they are legally allowed to say that. There's no punishment for that, which is... Yeah. Not I know, like like the trolls, especially on Twitter, are probably pretty bad do you get any you know horrific messages and All yeah they, they range from uh overly flattering like i get a lot of marriage proposals from india um 
Okay. To, yeah, that I should go die. And uh, all day, every day, you get those. You know, you get a pretty thick skin. Because I know they wouldn't say it in person. I hope they wouldn't. Um, and why they... I mean, I imagine... I, I mean, I'm, I don't understand being that pathetic that you sit online and troll other people. I've never done that to anybody else in my life. Nor would I spend my one precious life doing that with my time. Yeah. I imagine they've either been told something about escorts, that, that we are bad people who need to not be on planet Earth. They learned that somewhere. It's obviously not true. Yeah. Um, or they're angry about something going on in their life and they're lashing out. I've read a lot of books about sociopaths. And, and I think uh, trolls, they like to spread hate because they are feeling bad. Uh, I know that it's a cry for attention. You can fix it by killing them with kindness, sort of. You can be nice mm -hmm. to them and fix it. Some celebrities have done that. Uh, I do not have time. I don't have time to be very sweet and fix every person who insults me. So I'm just yeah. real good with the block button. Oh, fair enough. Okay, that's how you deal with it. Yeah, wow. So well, let's um, back up a little bit because I'd love to find out how you actually ended up working um, in the industry. How did how did that come around? So I learned, the first time I heard of it, I was in college. I, was, I did my undergraduate at UC Berkeley in San Francisco Bay Area, and I was in a sorority, and I had a sorority sister who was doing it. And uh, yeah, she told me. So we lived, to, we lived near each other one summer. We were both going to summer school. And uh, she had lived in the sorority house. She had had to move out because her parents had gotten divorced and her financial situation and her family had changed. And I was bummed about that. I really liked her. And she told me, because her finances got better again about a year later. She got this apartment. She got a car. I was like, what? Like, is your dad helping you out? Like, what's going on now? And she told me she worked for this agency and she would go across the Bay Bridge and have dinner with some tech guy in San Francisco and go home with a couple thousand bucks and she said they were really nice and it was just dating and they would support her. And I was like, what? Like, I am doing that for free. <laughs> and so admittedly, my first impression of it was all the, the good stuff and none of the bad. Because mm. I saw that, which was the very privileged end and uh, nothing bad had happened to her. And so I definitely had a skewed perspective. Uh, and, uh, and but so and I already liked rich guys. I was dating a doctor. I didn't date frat boys and college boys. I dated a doctor because he could take me on vacations and he could take me out to restaurants. And so I think I already had the gold diggery thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, my mom provide, my mom was a nurturer. My father provided for the family. My mother stayed home. It's kind of what I saw. He mm -hmm. wasn't controlling or mean to her, but I saw a pretty traditional existence where the man provided and the woman took care, which and nobody was hurt by that. So maybe that was kind of in my blood or modeled behavior, my family. Um, so I filed it away, but I, I was already dating this guy. And he did. He paid a lot of my bills. He bought me clothes. He bought me stuff because we'd go on vacation. And as a college student, I couldn't afford anything. And he was a physician. So the financial difference was huge. So I was kind of already used to having somebody provide for me. And then I came to Los Angeles for graduate school. He and I didn't make it long distance. We broke up. Uh, he took back all the stuff and I, I had massive bills from graduate school, no employment, a sudden, a need for quite a bit of money to pay for school. Yeah. The alternative would have been to drop out and get a job. I, I had a degree in biology from Berkeley. I could have worked in a lab. I had done that between college and grad school, hated it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was staring down the barrel of, okay, the only thing I'm qualified to do is work in biotech. And I already knew I didn't like that. Or I can keep going with my graduate degree, keep op- open up options in a couple of years, but I'm going to need some money. And it was heartbroken. I had only dated one guy ever. Aww. I kind of wanted to sow some oats. And so I revisited this. I think it was somewhere percolating in the back of my head of like, ooh. And so I looked for an agency like that, like she had worked for in San Francisco. Yeah. Nobody would hire me. Uh, LA. Why? Did they say why they wouldn't hire you? I'm not the LA type. Um, I am now. I got some surgery and I fixed up some stuff, but I had a even bigger nose than I do now. I had no boobs. LA, the women are so sexy and, you know, there's playboy models and actresses and uh, I applied to a couple agencies and they flat out told me you're adorable and smart and young and cool, but you're, you're just not, we're used to like, like cover models and, uh, beauty is a bigger deal in LA brains were a bigger deal in San Francisco. So the target market here wasn't, wasn't gonna, but one agency owner, she told me, she's like, you could do this yourself. You're smart enough. You don't need an agency. And I was like, well, how do you do that? And she told me about some websites I surfed him. It ain't rocket science. So I was like, okay, I need a phone and a, some couple pictures and a pick a name, get an email. And then, so that's what I did. I placed an ad with my last few bucks and the rest was history. Wow. Do you know, it's, it's interesting you say that the websites and doing it yourself, because a few years ago, there was maybe an article in the news or it was a big deal about students at our university, which is a uh, university of British Columbia, uh, using the sugardaddy.com in order to help them get through university. And part of me was thinking, wow, I kind of wish I'd done that at university because I'm still paying off my freaking student loan. Like still, and I'm not even sure I'll ever get it paid, right? So it was all this controversy about them doing that. But part of me was like, you know, as long as they're doing it in a safe way, they're consensual and like, you know, they're agreeing to do it, they're not being forced then go good on them you know it's complicated you would have been a great one you're beautiful and you're brilliant oh, you would have been a great one. but there are costs to it we don't talk as much about those online you can read some of the bad stuff but obviously it's bad marketing to talk about the bad stuff so there are things that aren't said that are not easy about it yeah um and then the social stigma it can get you stuck in it so that you lose options later the legal stigma in america you can you can get in trouble and then your options are limited for the rest of your life um there is violence there are people who try to control your career there's a lot of things that are bad and so will you get lucky and get out unscathed some do most most something happens that's not easy but that can happen in a regular job if you get through school by working minimum wage in a in a fast food establishment, that's tough too, in a very different way. Yeah. Um, I think the young often get abused via debt and underpaid labor. And uh, now look at what we're doing to them in these times. They got no job opportunities. They're graduating with debt. We've shut down the economy. I mean, the the um, young men get sent to war by the old people. I mean, we don't traditionally treat the young very well and sex work is one of the ways the young find to survive it is massive in college to either be a sugar baby escort stripper cam girl yeah he's on onlyfans.com now in this coronavirus stuff 
because young people look good and old people want to fuck them and find them attractive. <laughs> Excuse my language. Yeah. Oh. But that will never change. That will always be. It's a, it's a bargaining chip that young can trade on. Is it great? No, but it will always be. Uh, and that said, if you're going to trade on it, it's best to do it in a safe and, and profitable and, and uh, autonomous way as you can. Um, so one thing you had touched on is, you know, your your friend, she went through an agency and you had then looked for an agency. I'm curious to know, like, what's the difference between going through an agency, going through a pimp and then just doing it on obviously on your own? You don't have either of those. But like what's kind of pro, pros, cons of each option? Well, I've never worked for anybody and I've never and I've always been completely independent. So I only know my way. Um, I am driven very much by freedom. I'm not married. I never wanted to. I am driven more by freedom than some people. The brothel workers, like in Nevada where it's legal or Australia, they um, are often driven more by safety. So they're willing to give up some of their income and some of their autonomy. You know, someone else tells them their shift. Someone else probably tells them who to see. The clients come in the door and that's what it is. They have some control, but less. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they're safer. They're far safer. Um, the street-based, like street walkers, they are very, it's dangerous, but they are usually wild little young people that don't want to be controlled. They do often have, have to, they often do have pimps because there's no way to keep clients accountable and make them pay. There's no background checks going on. They're meeting a guy in a car, sizing him up and getting in a car and leaving with him. It's very, very dangerous. Yeah. They do that. They're not stupid, but they have a big muscly pimp because that keeps the client less, he's less likely to misbehave. They're sort of using fear. In, in a twisted sense, in America, criminalization is used to keep us safe because there's so much stigma and shame and fear of getting caught, getting in trouble that the the unsaid threat of that often keeps clients behaving and not not misbehaving. And so it's very twisted, but that can be exploited to mm-hmm. not that you would ever use that, hopefully, but uh, the fear of anybody finding out what they do is often one of the things that keeps them behaving correctly. Yeah. But um Pimps, I mean, a lot of them are really horrible. Some of them aren't that bad. Uh, and I don't know, certainly in the street-based work, I don't know how these girls would be safe without some kind of a bodyguard system. So it's an unfortunate byproduct of what goes on. Uh, I don't, that's why I'm not a fan of street-based work, but uh, because it exists, those those men usually men, usually big, strong young men are there as a terrible but necessary safety precaution. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how they really keep people, but again, it's the threat of it that sometimes it's a deterrent. Yeah. yeah. And then what's the downside of kind of going on your own? Well, there's a lot of work. I mean, you've, I, built a, I built a massive website that's taken years. You have to pay for all your advertising. You have to you try all these marketing things. I've tried 10 million different things, 99% of which fail utterly, but you, you just throw everything at the wall and see if anything sticks. Yeah. And that takes a lot of time. So, um, I like that. I didn't, but some girls, they really hate, they just want to go see their clients and then go home to their family or whatever. 
uh, they don't want to be on the computer all the time. So some of us independents have an assistant. Mm-hmm. By no means a pimp. It is a person who actually works for us. Yeah, like a virtual assistant or maybe sometimes in person. Uh, yeah, probably mostly virtual, but like um, answers your email for you. I don't do that. Everything I do, everything is me. Uh, I mean, I have lawyers and accountants and things, of course. But um, yeah, it's a lot of they joke, you know, sex work, more like computer work. Am I right? I mean, it's really 99% of your time is not spent with the clients. There's yeah. So some people hate that. I think it just depends on what kind of person you are, what you want. I had a girlfriend who switched. She didn't want to be a fancy traveling, going out to dinner escort. She wanted just one hour, have a drink, have a nice time and go back home to her husband and children. And uh, she tried being the high-end travel companion, hated it. So, I mean, people are different, right? Mm-hmm. They have yeah. different needs, different lifestyles. I'm very bored. I have no husband and children. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm so lame. Like, I want to go on vacation with guys because I got nothing. What else am I going to do? <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot more of, like, the entrepreneurial spirit as well, right? Maybe. I, um, I also really wanted to minimize the number of men that I dealt with. Mm, If you're independent and you manage everything yourself, I manage my schedule. I manage when I can earn income and you can really make the numbers lower. You know, if you work for an agency and you just clock in, you're going to see whoever wants somebody that day. Um, I would like to form deeper relationships and and see far fewer people. In, In fact, I've been seeing one guy almost entirely one guy for years now. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes after a long time. You pick your favorites and it, um, yeah. And so, and the reason that was my goal is a safety thing. I just wanted to minimize the numbers. But yeah. everybody's goal. When I first did this and I was heartbroken over the doctor, I wanted to date a bunch of guys. I really, <laughs> and, and I did. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, is fairly common after a long-term relationship. You want to go out and have some fun, right? I've been there. <laughs> yeah, you get like mad and heartbroken. You don't want too much depth. You don't want to get hurt again. So yeah, maybe I'll do, I, I might do that again after this ends. I don't know what will happen. (laughs) So tell us a little bit, do you actually, it sounds like you enjoy your work. Um, and like what aspects of it do you enjoy the most? Uh, like I said, the freedom, it's nice Mm -hmm. to be in charge of things that kind of is almost addictive because you're like, it feeds your ego. Like I did this myself and that's probably not true. I have a lot of privilege it's an easier business if you're Caucasian it's even easier if you're blonde um uh it's easier if you're thin that doesn't mean you have to be there's somebody for everybody but you're just going to get more requests if you're conventional looking and that sucks I did fine though being brunette and big nose half Jewish I mean (laughs) I did okay but uh but I've had some privilege the, I present well in fancy places because I'm educated and I grew up in a family that spoke a certain way and all that, that was just luck. Um, but I have enjoyed feeling some sense of self accomplishment, perhaps not at the greatest thing, but what I, but I did it myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, that's fun. And then of course the travel is amazing. I've been all over the world. I've been, you know, fancy places are beautiful. The best presidential suites and private jets and courtside and, and field side at every sporting event, front row at theaters and concerts. And, you know, the things that, well, I would have never seen any of that because that's not my world. That's, that's these guys' world. They're rich, right? 
and uh, the the incredible food and in incredible fashion. Sometimes that's that's fun. I'll miss that when it's over because that's not where I live financially. Um, yeah, that's been fun. Uh, I think the men are brilliant. It is it is an unbelievable privilege to be around really brilliant people. And I don't know why it didn't bother me if they were old and not particularly perfect looking. I didn't care at all. I would have hung out with them anyway. And it turned out I could get paid to do so. So what do they say? If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, exactly. I, I, these titans of industry, I mean, they're fascinating people, right? Uh, so to be able to get paid to have dinner and travel with them and hear their stories and how they became what they are and, you know, was desperately hoping it, some of that brilliance would rub off on me. I don't think it did, but I was hoping, I mean, that has been, where, where would some middle-class girl from Northern California meet people like that? Yeah. So that, that stuff has been, it's been fun. Pretty awesome. So what's the most uh, bizarre thing or something that's a wee bit out of, you know, the norms that you've ever had to do for a client that you're willing to share, obviously? Um, yeah. Um, well, when they really want to meet other women, it's if you say no, they'll probably find somebody else who will. So there have been a few times where I've um, met other women that I would not have otherwise met. It wasn't terrible, but it was fine um usually funny and fine uh and then all the weird the weirdest is bdsm so which is not sex that's why it's not criminalized uh but it gets weird i have had to read books and watch videos because admittedly it is not my natural predilection it is not uh and but i get I've been asked to do it a lot because the way I look, right? I got pointy eyebrows and I got dark hair. I look like a, do- I look like a dominatrix. Yeah, yeah. And, and I got a bitchy face and I'm not actually that dominant, but I look like this. So that's the cast- central casting shoves me into that box. <laughs> so um, I, have, I have caned and whipped and flogged a lot of men. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's exhausting mentally because... Um, it's a lot. It's, it, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I'm happy to serve and it's yeah. cathartic for them. And, and I'm in a service business, but it is not my natural skill set. Maybe someday it will be. Um, but when they want severe pain, as one in particular, I hit him so hard I was worried. But it's what he wanted and called me again for years. Wow. I could not believe it. I would not have believed it if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes. Yeah. Uh, it's rare. It's not. But I don't know what happened to somebody that these wires get crossed. That sounds judgmental. I, I tried to not be judgmental, even yeah. though I'll admit I don't fully understand it. And that said, it's very common. Yeah. It's, I mean, everyone or most people have their kinks and that's what it is, right? But yeah, if you're not used to it, I can imagine. What's that? Some people, it's a safe place to work out trauma. Some people, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my kink is just a reasonably attractive person who likes me. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <And then laughs> that's an easy one. Well, with this personality, it turns out that's not that easy to find. <laughs> we just put up with all this. No, I'm kidding. But um, I am not super kinky, but obviously uh, I've seen a lot and done a lot. And so 
Yeah, all the BDSM, like, oh, there's a lot of black leather. There's a lot of outfits. It's a lot of gear. You you be, you start to feel a bit like a like a construction engineer after a while. Um, <laughs> Trying to get it on. <laughs> I mean, it's a thing, right? Yeah, and I mean, with, what, Fifty Shades of Grey and all those books, it started to become more, you know, normalised, I guess, or less of a stigma around it, right? Because I guess more and more people were interested or into it. So it's it fascinates me, I won't lie. It definitely I, fascinates me. I think a lot of people want to play again. They want to feel something new, mm. do something they haven't done, and that might be part of it. Um, I think a lot of people like to submit and let somebody else take control because that's not something we get to do a lot as adults. I've seen a lot of powerful men really want to let somebody else make the decisions because that's what they do all day, make giant, big money decisions all day. I've I've seen that even with like dinner with some of the clients. They just don't care where we go. They just want to know where you want to eat because they don't really care as long yeah. as they're um, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean submission is a big thing and so is dominance and I've read a lot of books about like why aggression and sexuality are so often together and uh maybe it's the only place people can get it out I don't know yeah yeah uh, it could be it's it, fun though is it still the BDSM stuff still remains an utter mystery to me <laughs> <laughs> at least you're kind of open to trying for clients right and learning about it I was going to ask um so what kind of precautions do you put in place when you do go and see a client just to ensure your own safety I mean it sounds like you're seeing the same person now so you probably that's yeah. all good but like in the early stages of maybe meeting someone for the first time what would you do so um I made mistakes uh my my first client was a Hollywood agent who we saw each other for years, went all over the world. And my second client was a police officer who entrapped me. And uh, it all ended up working out. But uh, that taught me a very important lesson that people can lie. And actually, it did me a favor because I did not screen well enough. I did not protect myself. And the next person who would have lied and fooled me might have been a murderer. Mm -hmm. I learned harshly through trauma and quickly to not believe what they say. So some of it is tech-based. Um, when they fill out my form or they send me email, there's packets of data that show me a lot about them and their computer and what they're, and those are, you can read those and diagnose a lot of things about them and it has to match up with later contact and you can see, yeah, like if they open emails and if they share them and forward them and there's a lot of tech-based solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, to run full background checks, I, uh, the financial part of the deposit transaction has to come from a source that's traceable to them. It cannot be anonymous. And that's okay. cements that wow. the person I'm screening is actually the person who's going to be there. And then yeah. of course you check travel plans, you check. And then um, we use a reference system. You can't meet me unless you've met somebody that's established and known in my industry. Not everybody requires references, but many do. And I do. Okay. Um, that's a tough thing for guys. Cause if they've never met anybody, how do they meet anybody? Yeah. Not my problem. Find somebody now- that- take the first run on you. I did in the beginning and I'm not doing it now. And if yeah. that's a breaker, they just can't meet me. And that's fine. There's a million others they can meet. They'll be okay without me. Yeah. Um, I've earned my stripes now to not have to deal with that, but it was, it was trial by fire for sure. And I made mistakes. Yeah. And now we share a lot more information on social media because we want these girls, they have apps where they talk. We have blacklists where we talk about the most harmful of men. Um, 
I think the young girls are getting a lot better at like reverse image searches and meta tags in photos. These young girls are savages with the technology. They're better than we were. And uh, they know how to check out all kinds of stuff. Um, but we always tell them to come to us for any advice because I would like them to have it easier than I did in the beginning. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I didn't even think that you could you know, look at things like that to kind of get red flags, like the data that they send in on an online form and IP addresses. And it's pretty elaborate. Computers have um, like a VIN number, like a car that identifies mm -hmm. things. There are um, data packets that will show you if somebody opened an email and if they forwarded it or if they read it under a different email address. Or, there's a lot of tech-based stuff that you can do. Um, but then there's low-tech methods, like you don't meet people you always meet him in uh, public first. If that's a deal breaker for a guy, sorry, bye, next. And there are people who, there's always people who will take more risk, but, and with risk comes greater reward. I'm sure you lose business by the stricter you are, the more you're gonna lose business. But that, that trade-off is one, at this point in my career, I am not willing to take any risk. In the beginning, when the alternative was not being able to buy food and pay rent, I took more risk. That is typical. Yeah. Um, and it cost me for sure. Um, so I hope to never be in a position to have to absorb that much risk again. I hope, I hope that part of my life has passed. Yeah. What, what has been like the scariest thing that's, if you're willing to share and the scariest thing that's kind of ever happened to you? Well, uh, the cop day that sucked. He was very nice yeah. until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> We had a great day until they bust through the door and I had to go to, it all worked out. It was terrible, but it was a bad year for a while. But um, I, uh, yeah, so screening the living daylights out of somebody wonderful. I screened this wonderful company owner in Dallas who was an upstanding guy, the kind you would like to know. And everything went well. Um, we went to a great restaurant, had lots of, had a couple of great drinks, classy guy, looked great, presented well. And after, al so alcohol works with some people and some people cannot handle it. And uh, he flipped like a light switch. And um, when we got up from a restaurant, he tried to put his hand around my throat and push me up against the wall. In a restaurant, in public, in Dallas, Texas. Oh. Yeah, and this is a guy who, you know, owned a major company and, uh, and everybody looked. And then he just laughed it off and took it off and people sort of didn't want the embarrassment of saying anything, but everybody was looking at him. And I gathered my things and immediately left and booked my own hotel room and flew home the next morning and yeah. about money, who cares about, none of that mattered. And um, I never spoke to him again. And I think that was an alcohol thing. I have seen a couple of times uh, with men that when they get drunk, they can change. And mm -hmm. so uh, those things are scary. I've learned uh, I don't get drunk with clients, never. Yeah maybe two in a very long day because it's important that someone's in control. And if they persist in getting drunk and acting the fool, misbehaving, then they, they cease to be a client. And I've, and I've dumped several men because they couldn't hold their liquor. They yeah. became either argumentative or even physically uh, bizarre that I don't entertain people like that. So. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's a good rule. Um, yeah, alcohol can be pretty frightening. And people change. Some people are great. And, yeah. and of course, I've never messed with people who do drugs. That's not my world. Yeah. There, there's a big business of people who like to party, but I, I don't deal in that at all. 
yeah yeah no that's fair so my next question is how did your family react when they found out about the work that you do not great <laughs> so I got outed by an, a, a pimp who wanted to control me and force me to sell sex via a review website where you would list sex acts for sale he said I want you to be on this site and he would charge money to for for men to access that so he'd be indirectly pimping me right mm. i absolutely not i don't sell sex acts and you can you can go to hell uh and he got very angry because he wanted to control women and all that and so he outed me to my friends and my family and when i got outed to my family uh my mother said i was too old to be doing this which was funny because i was only 32 at the time uh so she did not know that there is a market for older companions but what does she know? And my father said, I don't know why anybody pays that kind of money to hang out with you. You're not that nice. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm thanks that. I could have made some comment about the nature of the hanging out, but I decided not to do that to my own father. He was cooler about it. He's a man. He has hired companions back in his youth. He's from Europe. Um, he's, my mother took it real hard. Uh, so they didn't speak to me for a couple of years. Um, I dealt with the pimp legally. It got very ugly, uh, and then it got better. And now my family, we talk, they love me, but we don't talk about it. So mm -hmm. they hate what I do. They worry about me. I think they think they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm happy and I'm okay. And there's millions like me. They just don't know it because everybody's in the closet yeah. for obvious reasons. Um, most people can't speak out like I now can. So um, nobody thinks, it's kind of like when nobody was honest about being gay, right? Nobody thought, yeah. and now everybody doesn't think it's a big deal because everybody knows somebody. So they force us into the closet and then they lie about us and people don't think that we're happy and fine. So my parents, it's hard for them. It's not what they would have wanted for me, I'm sure. Um, but uh, that's- yeah. But at least you still have a relationship with we them, which, we is, which is great. A lot, a lot of sex workers of various kinds, porn stars, cam girls, dominatrixes, escorts, strippers, they get disowned by their family. And that contributes to poor mental health outcomes, to poor financial outcomes. The, the stress and misery of losing your family, uh, which is a result of stigma, shame, and criminalization, because if it was respected as work, that would not happen. Yeah. Uh, that contributes to a lot of really poor outcomes in sex workers of all kinds. So yeah. this is what shame does, right? I know, I know. And why do you think there still is this, you know, this stigma, this shame around sex work? And what do you think like has to be done for that to change? Or do you think it'll ever change? Um, I don't think it's anywhere near changing. I, I think we don't like sexually free women in this world. We don't. Religion has always praised the virginal woman, whether that's because of male desire to know who your children belong to, yeah, you don't want to raise other guys' kids, and all these things that have been written about, or it's women policing other women's behavior because we don't want our husband cheating on us. Um, and I get it, we're jealous creatures. I've been in love, and I, I have been cheated on, and it sucks. And so I'm a giant hypocrite, but uh, but I am human and I feel jealousy too, like every human does. It could be envy because sex worker women throughout history have often been some of the wealthiest and freest women. 
Mm -hmm. uh, Men tend not to like women who make a lot of money doing something men can't do. There is no demand. A men, I mean, there's this much demand, but let's face it. It's a business in which women make all the money. And uh, a lot of men really hate that. I get email every day from men who are like, you travel the world and you make money and you can get a date anytime and you can sleep with anybody anytime. There's a lot of hatred for sort of sexy, beautiful women in general. There are studies that in the workplace, when a woman is in the office and she's beautiful, that even though all the men want to sleep with her, they also hate her. They perceive her as less intelligent and less trustworthy. But so beautiful, sexy, beautiful women, people are simultaneously obsessed with them and also really hate them. Mm -hmm. I think that's because it's a power the sexuality and the beauty. It's in the same way that a lot of us sort of are fascinated by rich guys, but we hate them, right? And we love it when a billionaire gets taken down a peg. And I would guess that most of the hatred of sex work has its deepest roots in envy. We envy people who make money. We envy people who have a lot of sex because we would like to. Yeah. We envy somebody who lives outside of social norms because we hate having to obey social norms. Most married women fantasize often about being a sex worker because it's pretty boring to fuck the same guy for 50 years. People absolutely love him like we often do. Yeah. My sister was joking the other day. She's like, I love my husband so much and I would also very much like to cheat on him. I'm not going to. (laughs) I've been married for 25 years. She went, those Magic Mike um, stripper movies, there were two of them. She went alone to see them three times. (laughs) Oh, poor thing. Maybe she needs to have a conversation about like a non-monogamous relationship with him or something. <laughs> she, you know, she's not going to ruin marriage. They, they're best friends. But, yeah. You know, and I laughed. I said, if we need to, we'll take you to Vegas. We'll get you a gigolo. We'll get it out of your system. He will leave. He will not mess up your marriage with your best friend on earth. But I mean, there's an overarching conversation about monogamy. And, and, and the main reason I never got married, because I've struggled with monogamy. I know what love is, I've been in love, and I have also cheated. Why? The reasons varied. Sometimes I was just bored. One time the guy was physically unappealing and I was being selfish. I wanted to have real orgasms and I got frustrated after a few years. Should I, I should have probably broken up with him, but I loved him and it's complicated, right? What what is the man to do if he loves his wife and they've got children and she's his best friend, but they're sexually incompatible or he's not attracted. Should he just be celibate? Well, that's, I don't think a workable solution. Yeah. So yeah, I, why do people hate it? Mm. Because we, we would rather aspire to the world that we wish was than face the world that maybe is, which includes infidelity and shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people want to have a crush on somebody new because it's exciting, like affairs. Yeah. I, it's it's terrible, but sometimes that's a jolt of excitement that it's you know. You ever like um, married women will sometimes they'll get hit on by some other guy out in public, and they don't want to leave their husband, but it's kind of exciting that some other guy thought I was cute. Totally. I actually had a conversation and it was a podcast, I think last year, where I spoke to two women who um, began, so cannabis is legal in Canada, and they had started a company where they made um, cannabis infused truffles. Now these truffles are to die for, they're really good, I had some. And um, the, the reason they started this business was because they were in Vegas, and they were dancing 
And, you know, they were kind of flirting with these guys, even though they'd been in marriages for years and years and years and nothing happened. But they were like, you know, we really missed the excitement of flirting with someone. And then they ended up just trying out some drugs because they wanted to live on the edge a little and cannabis was the safest one and it was being legalized in Canada. So they they started this chocolate company and the whole premise is for women who are in long-term marriages who maybe want to open up about their sex life and have more fun sex with their husbands or potentially talk about, you know, other options. Um, ha- once they have the cannabis, they get a little bit, you know, more encouraged and brave to talk about it and have more fun with their lifetime partners or best friends so it's really cool that they kind of created this and they do workshops as well as create the chocolate for for women so um yeah I just thought that was really amazing and and just the fact that they were willing to go and just flirt and have fun because yeah you miss that when you're in a long-term relationship yeah like you know don't you ever like somebody new looks at you and it's fun right yeah there's yeah. something about breaking rules too not harmful ones you don't want to hurt people but there's we need a steam valve in this world you can't just pay taxes and always do everything right and never be wild that's what las vegas is for that's what yes. for it was kind of more fun when weed was illegal but you we have these complex layers right it's fun yeah. and and to ignore the complexity of humanity is to aspire to something that will never be. And then to spend a lot of time feeling guilty about never aspiring. I'm not a complete moral relative that says never question your behavior, never look inside and just and think about what you're doing. I'm not saying that at all. But also be kind to yourself. I don't think every single guy who's ever been unfaithful is a monster. I don't think that's always true. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think every marriage that's not monogamous should should split up. I don't think, I think it's more complicated than that, right? It's uh, Oh yeah, there's many layers. And I mean, even, and I, know I spoke to you about this before, the conversation I had with Tori and Soul from Torrid Souls who have the ethical non-monogamous um, relationship and podcast. Like that was kind of eye opening to me that there was people who were willing to just have such clear communication. And I really think that's the foundation is, you know, sitting down and talking to your partner about what you're both willing to do or not willing to do and kind of moving forward from there. And then just being honest when you are going out to on a date with someone else or you want to have a threesome and talking about how that can happen. And I just didn't really ever realize there was relationships like that out there. But when I had that conversation with them, it made so much sense. Yeah. It really did, to me anyway, like personally. So yeah, I think you're. I'm starting to see it more and more. And I don't know if it's because I'm kind of more open to that world now because of this podcast, but I think it's a great thing. I think yeah, it's amazing. You may find years and years of doing this that you don't know how to feel any judgment toward anything because people have seen so much. You'll be like, I don't know. That's how I feel about like marriage and monogamy. Like I feel like a nihilist, like Buddha, right? Because I've seen so much that if you judge it all, I'm going to be pissed off all the time. So I don't know. I don't have any brilliant ideas. I just think there's people find solutions. There are men who see companions because they just want to see somebody more beautiful than they could get because they're ugly, but they've got money. So 
There are men who want to be with somebody younger than what they could get. And we decide in society that that's kind of gross. Okay, maybe it is, but they're chasing youth because they're afraid of death and aging. And it's one way of, for a moment, feeling like they're in their 20s or 30s again. Yeah. Is that evil? I don't know. Should they be with somebody more age appropriate? Yeah, maybe. It's also not the worst. It's yeah. a lot of weird things to deny death. People do a lot of weird things to quell boredom. People do a lot of weird things to feel attractive. You know how much men envy us that, that we can get laid all the time because we're women, that people find us attractive? Most men will remember the handful of times a woman ever hit on them because that's how many times it happens. Us, yeah. remember every time you got hit on? Of course you don't. especially pretty women so is it so bad for a man to say I want affection on demand on my terms just once and I'm willing to pay for it that's how much I want it yeah should he be demonized for that I don't think so I don't think it's a a plus behavior but it's also not an f it's some yeah strategy in the middle people are just trying to people need touch I've met countless men who just want to a back rub and to be touched because a lot of especially older men who aren't super sexy and hot anymore nobody touches them yeah so and now in corona we can, we don't even shake hands anymore there's no more hugging i'm very interested in what's going to happen for the need for human touch in the coming afterwards time. i know i i'm really curious I, they're starting to ease restrictions here in BC um, and I've seen a couple of friends but again we've kind of been at a distance I haven't hugged them yet uh, so that's going to be interesting once we can and then I was talking to someone who has quite a you know pretty crazy sex life and she's like oh god I think there'll be orgies in the street once we can go out and have <laughs> like okay that will be that will be fun <laughs> one and two there was a lot of pent-up demand and people kind of went Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want the young to have trauma over human touch because of this nonsense. Yeah. I mean, look, I am often moved to, I am totally moved to tears by the triumph of the human spirit. I think that's one of my favorite things about sex work is there's a bunch of crazy, wild women who, many of whom are single moms, gotten out from under some abusive guy, whether it was a pimp or a boyfriend or both, mm-hmm. and they're making their way in the world, admittedly unconventionally but that this the triumph of the human spirit i mean look how much like entertainment is pivoting right now recording stuff from home yeah and much people are starting to like the authenticity of that they don't want to see studio lights and and yeah all this garbage anymore And, and i think the human spirit finds a way always I've been fascinated by sex workers because in history, these have always been women, entrepreneurial, fierce women who have found a way. And, yeah. and so I'm sure we will. I don't know. I don't know what way that's going to happen, but. What about like legalization? Do you think, so you've kind of alluded to the fact that that would be a good thing. So, but I've also heard arguments of how it could also do damage, especially to women who are, you know, forced sex workers or they're in low income situations, minorities. Um, Yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Well, right, so we would like decriminalization, which would be basically stay out of our lives, but let us, but stop prosecuting us all the time. 
I think that's that would be best, but I worry that that's a fantasy because the government doesn't tend to give without taking. And what they want is more tax revenue, right? That's what they want. What they don't know is that anybody who's making any real money is paying taxes. But there's many who are not, you know, the cash sort of the occasional, there's probably tax money they're not getting. And they know that um, the under the table stuff, although that's also occurring in bartenders and anybody who's earning cash, but they're after it. So we had uh, Lorena Gonzalez in California had this AB5 bill and under that was uh, assemb AB's assembly bill. It's legal stuff. And underneath that was AB, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, but like 2739 or whatever the number is. And it was a bill to go after sex workers and put them in a registry. The argument was that would make them employees eligible for health care and other benefits and retirements. And those are good things mm -hmm. instead of the economy where you just make some cash and then you're on your own. But you tell me what sex worker wants to forever be in a registry because most sex workers don't do this for years and years. Most yeah. are weirdos like me. Most are doing this six months to pay off a credit card and they're going to go to law school or be a mom or run a business and they don't want to be in a forever registry that tells the world that they did sex work. Ancient Rome tried to do this. They registered prostitutes and it was a disaster then and it would be a disaster now. Mm -hmm. so that's what the government wants to do because they want the money. So decriminalization would be better for us, but where's the incentive for the government to give us rights while getting nothing? There's yeah. no incentive for them to, why would they, why would they just be nice to us? That's not, usually what they do. Uh, you see also problems with decriminalization. So in the UK, porn is pretty much decriminalization, is decriminalized. It's utterly disorganized. It's being shot in people's homes. There's no recourse for the performers. They get coerced to do more extreme acts, even getting injured and infected. And because it's totally deregulated and there's no, no laws, no health checks, no nothing. Um, so the Wild West of decriminalization is not a perfect system either. I think it's better. Yeah. Incarcerating sex workers makes nothing better for anybody, except maybe the courts, and it's fun for the cops to get a blowjob and then handcuff a young girl and, and, and shame her. That's, that's a fun day for cops because it's a lot easier than going after a gang member who might fight back, right? Yeah. Uh, but the fight for decriminalization, I don't think we're anywhere close and pandemics traditionally are pretty bad for sex workers. People yeah. get paranoid about disease. And uh, and I've already seen that on the internet is here comes the whole like filthy whore thing. Uh, yeah. So I, I worry for where we're at on ours, on our fight, but, um, but I'm hopeful. I remain hopeful. Yeah. And what about, you know, women who are maybe working for like, a violent pimp um, or someone who just wants to do it for six months or at school and uh, they end up getting in with a pimp and then it's hard to kind of get back on track. Like, is there any support or anything out there that can help young women that kind of get caught in that, you know, horrible, vicious cycle and they just want to graduate and, and become a lawyer? Yeah, no, there are. The SWAP, SWOP, Sex Workers Outreach Project, there are chapters in most major cities and they can work with women to get out from under them. There are also um, rescue and abolition groups. Some of them aren't my favorite because there are a lot of them are tied up with like real, real heavy religion. Mm. It's not my thing, but it's fine if it is. Um, there are resources. You 
can go to the cops. I had to go to the cops about a stalker. Yes, I was worried that they would do something to me, but once they saw the danger I was in, uh, they helped me. They didn't love what I do, but they don't want to see you get murdered almost ever anywhere. That's yeah. You, so there, yeah, there are places they can go. What what's going on with the pimps is usually this sort of psychological abuse. Um, a lot of these girls, I've talked to many of them. I just was talking to one last night, and it's not a pimp, but it sort of is. It's a client who took her off the market, said he would just take care of her, and now he's exerting a lot of control, and he's abusing her because she has no nobody else, right? He's, he owns her. And uh, I saw the text, and it's disgusting what he's doing. She has such low self-esteem, she doesn't think she deserves better than this. And she's worried about her finances and she's worried about him outing her. And um, it's a psychological prison that um, it is very complicated to free oneself from. And the, the deepest, the, the crux, sorry, the crux of what needs to happen for a lot of these girls to free themselves and not cling to a pimp or an abusive client or whatever is a self-love they have to believe that they deserve better and they're worth it or they will never take those steps. And they're never going to believe that they deserve better and are worth it. If the world keeps telling them that, that, that they're garbage. So, so so you circle back to this sort of stigma and shame and criminalization thing that as long as you tell, as long as dead hooker is a joke and whore is an insult, then these especially young girls in poverty will cling to anybody who's kind to them. Mm. And, and that opens the door for pimps and abusers. Anybody who will act like they love them can do anything to them. So, um, so one of the reasons I speak out is, is I would like women in my world to feel prouder of who they are. That's mm-hmm. to, I would like our humanity to be acknowledged because when you love yourself a little bit more, you're a lot less likely to let a violent pimp do what he does, right? Yeah, definitely. Do you think, because I know you've talked about, you know, once I've done this, once I finish, once I retire, um, and I don't know how soon you're planning on that to come along, but like, what do you think you'll do? It sounds like you're already a support to a lot of young women who are out there doing similar work to yourself. Is that something you think you'll continue even when you retire? I'd like to. It's frustrating because there's so much trauma in a lot of people in my business that they can lash out. They can be difficult to talk to and deal with. They got a lot of stuff going on that society put on them and they put on themselves. Um, so sometimes dealing with a lot of sex workers can get like, oh. um, so I'm a flight instructor. I teach people how to fly planes. That part of my life is sort of a lot more peaceful and yeah. brow and people are very buttoned up and very different from people in sex work. I will do that as long as my health holds up and I can fly. Um, yeah. You're not mandated to retire till 65 for commercial flying. So I will do that as long as I can. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, the retirement thing. I mean, I just assume as I age that there's coming a time where nobody will call. But, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'll be like 85 and like, call me. I still got it. Hey, you never know. You, as you said, there's something out there for everyone. <laughs> everyone has their kinks. It's going to get real weird. <laughs> yeah, you look fabulous. I'm pretty sure you'll continue to. So you never know. <laughs> I, I, if I left, if I left this world after so much fun and 
and some trauma. And I didn't try to try to do anything for those coming after me. I would feel very selfish. Mm -hmm. And I am a terrible liar and I don't want to go forward with the rest of my life trying to hide what I did. Yeah. I'm not sorry. I'm not ashamed. It wasn't a perfect choice, but it also wasn't that bad. And so I have a, I have a deep need to humanize sex workers and to try to put my little grain of sand in to make the industry better. I don't know if I'll be able to, but, but that's, that is my hope that I can contribute somehow. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I hope you do. And obviously wish you all of the success with that. Um, this has been amazing, Amy. Thank you so much for, you know, telling us a bit about your life, a world that we don't often get to to hear about. So thank you so much. Thank you for letting me speak. Um, not to be too schmaltzy, but the more that you let people with um, different lifestyles speak out, uh, the less people can hate us because it gets hard to hate somebody when you see them as a human. So, so um, it's an uncomfortable subject, as you know, um, but uh, it's really important, your cast and what you're doing. So Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's the reason I do it, too, is just to try and, you know, dissolve some of that stigma and shame around, you know, these industries or the way someone lives or the way someone feels. So, um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing and adding your story. And um, I will definitely share links to you know a couple of the programs that you mentioned and everything in the show notes just for people who are interested yeah i'll share those resources so um, please out there for anybody who wants it thank you so much for listening if you would like to find out more about amy then you can visit her website amytaylor.com and you can follow her over on instagram at amytaylorelly and twitter at amytaylor1 i will make sure to post all the links in the show notes if you enjoyed our conversation or you have any comments that you'd like to share about this episode, then head over to the page on our website, uncomfortable.blog, and you can post them in the comments box. You can also follow us over on social media. We are at uncomfortable.blog on Facebook and Instagram and uncomfy underscore podcast on Twitter. If you like what you heard, then please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a glowing review. And while you're at it, make sure to hit all five of those stars. You can also support this podcast by becoming a monthly patron and pledging as little as two to five dollars a month. Your monthly pledges will help keep our little podcast on its pod feet by covering costs such as website and podcast hosting, editing software and equipment upgrades. Thank you again for listening. Now go out there and get uncomfortable.